So there are two loose heads just floating around in here somewhere? You can hear them at night. They whisper to each other and then cry. <laughs> Since our host isn't here, would anyone care to mix me a drink? Horror films ask us many questions. Who will survive and what will be left of them? Who's going to believe a talking head? What's blood for if not for shedding? Do you like scary movies? Have you checked the children? Maybe we'll find the answers together. Thank you for joining us on PhotoFlow, Terror in the Smiles. Here are your hosts, Eric Jones and Jake Almond. Good evening. I'm your host. <clears throat> All right. Welcome to PhotoFlow. My name is Jake Almond. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Almond, and this is my co-host. Uh, it's Eric Jones. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Deacon05OC. And today we're going to take you back to a time when low-budget movies ruled the the landscape of low-budget movie theaters. <laughs> Known as oh. grindhouses and some places. We just had the drive-ins out, out where I live that carried these type of movies. But all of it before my time. And I'm sorry, but something sticky was on my microphone from the kids, and I'm trying to clean it off. I thought you were eating potato chips. It sounded like a <laughs> bag of chips. Yeah. All right. Ugh, that's gross. All right. Speaking of sticky, I can imagine that the uh, floors of these theaters were really sticky. I can actually still remember when, before they remodeled our local theater, how you'd sometimes go in there and all the soda would be sticking to the floor. <laughs> Yeah. We did, but our theater was never. We never had anything like a, like a, theater that just specialized in like exploitation films and stuff like that where I lived. So, how how familiar were you of that concept? Uh, not, not really. Going up because, uh, like I said our, the local theater that I had growing up, um, kind of you know they were showing all the stuff of the day you know the current day stuff um and pretty much i mean the closest grindhouse theater you got was like the porn theaters and most of those were gone pretty much the only major one was still in uh downtown philly i don't know if it was showing uh any of those movies at the same you know around that time but you know for the longest it was called the forum we we just always knew it as as the as the porn theater yeah. So we even had a get this. We even had and I I mean all way before my time, but we apparently had a drive-in other than the two that I knew about from around here, one of which still exists. But we had another drive-in that just showed porn, which is mind-blowing in a drive-in. Like at least in a, at least in a grindhouse, you're kind of, you know, going there and it's, you know, blocked from the, you know, eyes of the public in the drive-in. That's a that's an experience driving down the road, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was like, like they they must have built like I don't know. They had to build like walls as high as the screen at least. No, like, no, it oh. was apparently just out in the open. Kind of crazy to me. I don't uh, think it lasted very long, but it did I, exist. I was like, you driving, you driving down uh, 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 the road or something on family vacation. <laughs> it, it's 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 ten o'clock at night or something. Well, I don't know. Maybe the kids are maybe the kids will be asleep. But uh, you know, God help the parent who's driving and. 
take a look at the screen. <laughs> well, luckily it would have. I think where, from what I understand, where it was, it was kind of out of the way. I don't think the average person would be riding riding through there. But it was kind of funny to me, just the thought of that, because I'll sometimes drive by the drive-in now, like, and and you know, see, and I can tell what movies play in a lot of times. But it was kind of funny. But yeah, yeah so. our drive-ins are mostly their special event thing. Well, now that you know things have died down, they kind of, you know, we had them all throughout 2020 and 2021, but now they sort of been moving them away. And th- there's there's very few permanent. I don't think that. that few permanent drive-ins at least not they're in pennsylvania but not in the philadelphia area they're more like central pa or some parts of new jersey yeah yeah more out more out in the rural areas yeah like we never had like a two dollar theater or anything like that around here uh, at least not in my lifetime but like when i would go to the mountains to visit my uncle they actually did have one there that would play you know it'd be like two dollars and it would play stuff that had already left the theater you know, in other places. And and that's the kind of place that would play like revival screenings of, you know, low budget films and sometimes cult classics and things like that. And you do see like, you know, fa- you know, fathom events for better or for worse and other things do that with mainstream movie theaters. But it's just, not, I mean, we're talking back at a time when maybe they would actually, well, they would have to have, you know, the actual film reels and, and play these, these old films. And I never... I guess my understanding of a lot of that, like I never realized it, but I watched a lot of things just because I had access to cable and and different VHS collections, depending on whose house I was at. So I had an appreciation for a lot of lower budget movies. I feel like as a kid, uh, especially action films, uh, martial arts movies, things like that, that might have played in a, in a grindhouse theater at one point, um, not knowing that that was, you know, really what the, the whole thing behind that and definitely horror films like i saw a lot of <clears throat> you know some mainstream horror films that would have played at a normal theater but there was you know quite a few that became popular in the home video market that would have played at um you know at these type of theaters and drive-ins things like that so i missed out on that whole phenomenon but i love that type of movie so and, and you could see that kind of love if you watched quentin tarantino and and robert rodriguez's filmographies outside of this movie uh, we're by the way we're covering the movie grindhouse and you probably knew that because you clicked on it and the title was there but i guess i was i was familiar enough with it that but i didn't i haven't by any means even today haven't seen everything um but i like like lower budget cult movies i, I really really love watching um Joe Bob's drive like the last drive in on Shutter for that reason too because he you'll just you if you watch through those you'll you're going to see some crap you've never seen before because he just has this encyclopedic knowledge of these type of movies and when we get into talking about Grindhouse specifically we'll I'm sure we we each have opinions on what works and what doesn't work but um, there actually are in my opinion some really great movies that would have fit this bill that and then there are some that are just pure trash and how much you like them probably depends on your own personal taste when it comes to the genre because there's a grindhouse isn't really a genre but it's kind of become kind of the label for certain types of movies but there's all kinds of movies that could fall under that whether they're horror films or whether they're uh action exploitation films or whether they're uh even some westerns and some uh 
martial arts movies and things like that can all fall into that category. And uh, especially when you're talking like the spaghetti Western era, like the Italian, when all those Italian Westerns, because there's some of those that go a lot further than what we went in like American Westerns at the time and stuff like that. But um, some things cross over into the mainstream and some things never did. <laughs> I think that before Quentin Tarantino made these type of films kind of, he took certain aesthetics and certain ideas from them and then made them legit, legit quote unquote movies. Um, but I think John Carpenter was doing that kind of thing as well with his films. Like there's definitely like assault on precinct 13 and, and um, big trouble, little China. They live even uh, escape from New York. Those type of movies have that kind of feel as well, I think. Um, but anyway, let's just jump into it, Eric. This was your pick, man. So Tell me about the first time that you saw Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's Grindhouse. Uh, so I saw Grindhouse in theaters uh, uh, on the opening uh, day. It was released April 6, 2007. And I went that day, uh, uh, well, that night after I got off of, uh, actually, no, I didn't it, I didn't even get off work because I wasn't working then. Uh, it was 2007. It was literally about a month before I graduated uh, college. Um, so I was developing a um, a love of uh, Tarantino um, before Grindhouse. He um, he did kill you know Kill Bill and Kill Bill was my first uh, Tarantino movie. Well, both parts um, depending on how you want to consider it. But Kill Bill was my first. Uh, first time ever watching anything uh Quentin Tarantino um and so I was excited to see what was next um and I hadn't seen um for Robert Rodriguez I had seen um uh Sin City came out in 2005 um I adore uh El Mariachi and Desperado um Once Upon a Time in Mexico huge disappointment for me but he is but Rodriguez is someone who I look forward to seeing his movie so when I, I remember when it was announced and it was like Tarantino and Rodriguez are doing this this ode to uh 70s grindhouse cinema and it's going to be a double feature and there's going to be trailers and I was like oh my god I'm I'm down for this um and I, I, you know, I was like, because, you know, Kill Bill, I think probably more, I think Kill Bill is probably uh, a, a good, a good uh, primer for that type of cinema. Not that, not that Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction and, and Jackie Brown aren't, but I think Kill Bill for Tarantino, at least, is kind of a general, you know, a, a, a good primer of the type a little of more tongue in cheek, I think. Yeah, that you would see in because um, Kill Bill is a, um, you know, it's a it's a mix of different type of uh, genres and all that. Um, for Robert Rodriguez, uh, as I say, check out uh, El Mariachi, Desperado, uh, Sin City, um, and you'll you'll know you'll have an essence of of what he would. Uh, be bringing to this so I it, it, you know it's it's Friday night um I'm like you know which I don't normally go to the movies on a Friday night because I don't typically like being around a lot of the pe you know a lot of people but I think I must have had something to do that Saturday which is the only reason why I would have um but I go 
get my ticket, um, go in, and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to fill up. Because I get to the theater early anyway, because uh, these are the days before uh, you could, you know, you picked your seat um, online, that is. Um, but I go and I'm like, oh, this must be, I'm, I'm early. I'm about 20 minutes early, but it'll fill up. And it never filled up. Like five other dudes came in and they all came together. They, they, all, they all came with each other and they all sat together on one side of the theater and I was by myself on the other side and I was like, wait a minute. I was like, as far as I know, people like, you know, people, people enjoyed Sin City. People enjoyed Desperados. I was oh, like, yeah. people like people like Robert Rodriguez. And I know, like I, I say, Kill Bill was my first uh, Tarantino film. And I think Kill Bill was actually a lot of people's uh, first Tarantino film. People who thought that they might not get into Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, or, um, or Jackie Brown. And it was like, no one is here. Then I, then I got to think, I'm like, wait a minute. All those guys who I go to college with that that worship Tarantino and none of them showed up to this. And I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, well, you know what? Maybe it's just my theater here. And then, you know, it's, you know, they they announced the box office results on on Sunday. And it's like, no, this thing is that this thing was dead on arrival. And I was Which just, is kind of appropriate, honestly, for the <laughs> Kind of became a cult film all its own when it should, when it never nobody really thought it would be a cult film. Yeah, I, I just was. I, I'm looking. Its its budget was the budget was uh, fifty three to sixty seven million. Uh, so you know they definitely made it dirt cheap. They did not. Uh, you know they didn't blow the budget, and its box office was twenty five, twenty five million. I mean, I. They screwed up the home video release because I feel like if they hadn't screwed up the home video release, it may have recouped. Like I don't know how well it sold. I well, bought they, the extended. I bought the extended DVDs when they first hit, but like they should have never split the movies up. They should have made those extended release, those extended cuts, just special features on the on the thing or something. Because that was really to me that was bonehead move. Because part yeah. of what made it so much fun was them being together with those trailers and everything. Yep, and I bought I bought both of those as well because at the time that was the only way. And the thing was they they released them separately because of the um because of its the, the, the box office failure. They they were thinking, well, I guess maybe people just rather watch these two separate. And I actually for this time for our the sake of our episode here i did watch those because now that i have the blu-ray with the theatrical experience i'm not as bitter towards owning the two separate extended uh th- uh versions uh anymore because i every time i would watch them i just i just be like Ugh, because that version wasn't available for a bit and now that it is and i got it so i i watched those for this one but it's really kind of hard to find now i think I it don't is. know. Maybe it's on Amazon, but when I—I I mean, I bought it as soon as I found out it was coming out. I was like, okay, I'm getting that version. Yep, but, same. Um, and yeah, it, it is hard to find um, right now. And um, but yeah, it's uh, they. I, I just I was dumbfounded at how it didn't, um, how it didn't uh, 
go over. And the thing was, because you would have thought that because it didn't work, you wouldn't have thought that they would have greenlit Machete from that. But they did. And Machete actually made money. Um, yeah, and- people were excited about that trailer, though, because there's something about Danny Trejo and, and that character specifically and that, that I do remember, even even with the kind of lukewarm reception of the movies themselves. But that trailer was was a was a hit with people. I feel like if they had put that trailer, just released it on YouTube, it would have been like it would have still gotten a, a movie out of it, you know, as a concept. But yeah, I, that that was that was so my you, experience with it. Yeah. So you went alone. Yeah, because so, um, that that type of movie, it, it, it would have been me and my. If, if anybody would have went with me, it would have been my father. Um, I think he was working at the time. That's the only reason why. Um, so why he did go. Heather, when I when when it came out, I was excited about it because I genuinely enjoyed, um, you know, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction were were. Two of two films that I loved, you know, like a lot of people during that time, in high school and and uh, into college age, and and so by this point I was living in Wilmington and I was married, and Kill Bill movies and all that. Like I was actually making a movie when Kill Bill One came out and wanted to go see it and couldn't because of the schedule of the movie I was I was working on, and then as soon as it hit DVD, we had a I think it was right around the time we finished shooting. We had like kind of a rap party and I bought went out the day the Tuesday that came out on DVD and bought Kill Bill Volume One and watched it that night with everybody and we just loved it and then for a long time I would have told you that's my favorite Tarantino movie and it still is like top three easy. Or I don't know. It changes all the time. But I love Kill Bill. Kill Bill's just Kill Bill to me is this formula or this kind of thing where you're paying homage to these classic films of the past to perfection for me like i don't i I prefer tarantino when he kind of borrows from stuff but goes off on his own whereas kill bill is much more of an homage like through and through Uh, but i but i think if you're going to do a movie like that it's hard to beat kill bill like the rest of the time a lot of movies like this kind of fall flat for me um but so kill bill 2 came out i went to see that in the theater like i think twice and then bought it the day it came out so i always wish that they had the they had the official, like when they combined it into one movie, the whole bloody affair or whatever. I wish that that would come out, but uh, maybe one day. But I know one day. I I, I, don't, <laughs> I haven't I haven't bought. I still have my DVDs. I haven't bought the Blu-rays of them, just because I just want that. Yeah. So Jackie Brown was one that I came to late because I had seen. I think I might have seen it once before Kill Bill came out, but that was just one of those movies that I appreciated more after I saw more movies and kind of understood that like, it just feels so much more slow burn and laid back, but now it's easily one of my top. I mean, this Jackie Brown's one that I revisit every year. I just love that movie. But, but when I saw it, the, when it came out on, it came out on a special edition DVD around the same time they released like an anniversary edition of Pulp Fiction. I bought both of them and actually got from dusk till dawn for free when i bought that that day i just they were doing like a promo at sam goody where i bought them where i bought them which ended up being super cool because that edition of from dust till dawn had full tilt boogie which was this cool little 
documentary about the making of that movie with Robert Rodriguez and everybody, every everybody that's in that movie is on that documentary, and it's just a, a pretty good time. I that I don't watch that one day because I do have that I do have that disc, but I never watched the documentary. Oh, it's 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 a lot of fun, man. Because you see, like like it it was one of the first times I had seen a feature length documentary cover the making of a film. So I was very and like you said, El Mariachi. That's legend. That, when I was getting into filmmaking, and before Rodriguez did anything, Ollie, you know, before he did all the you know more recent stuff, like El Mariachi was legendary in the independent filmmaking in the nineties. Like he he his whole career, like for a long time, he everybody every aspiring filmmaker bought Rebel Without a Crew, which was a book he did, and and when he did El Mariachi, talk about like doing everything himself on a shoestring budget like that was that was kind of the dream i think that and clerks the first clerks movie were, were two really huge moments in independent cinema in the 90s for us for a film kid that came from a place that wasn't los angeles or new york you know and and they and and that and so rodriguez was was that guy you know for a while there he was that guy like okay he can show everybody kind of like this is what you can do with with just what you have laying around and uh and i mean desperado was great too i loved it but so i was very familiar with these two guys uh but i had like certain like pulp fiction and reservoir dogs were the ones i watched with my friends from dust till dawn that sort of thing jackie brown was one like i watched that was for me like i was like the only one in my peer group that was into that like and that was kind of like one of those fun i don't know i always associate jackie brown with like you you spent your whole day swimming and you're tired and it's summertime and you just put that movie on just when you just want to relax and it's just a, a, a feel good movie, um, but but then Kill Bill is another party movie we watched so much like anytime there was a friend in the group that hadn't seen it we'd pop it on because it just takes everybody by surprise, um, so I was genuinely pumped when they announced Grindhouse I was like this is awesome, uh, and I had seen a lot more like of these type of movies that they were riffing on. But I still didn't really know what to expect. But like, I, I remember like feeling like I was the only one that was excited about it. And and by this point, uh, Heather was pregnant with our first child, and she wasn't feeling it. Didn't care anything about it. And so the Friday morning that you went, or the Friday night that you went to see it, I had gone to see it that morning. Like I was like, well, I'm gonna go by myself. Let me just go go in the morning, like the first available time. So it was it was like, I want to say it was the morning, but it could have been early afternoon by the time I actually got there and uh it was either like a 12 30 show or a 1 8 1 p.m show or, or whatever i'm not sure but it was early afternoon but i had gotten up that morning to go because i was still driving like 40 minutes to the theater so i got there very similar experience to you actually uh in wilmington sat down in the theater like th three or four other people walk in and they sit in the back like i'm kind of in the middle and they're all the way to the back and but when the trailer starts up i'm in 100 with machete and all that stuff everybody's laughing and feeling it and then planet terror starts and we get we get through planet terror you know and and at, at the end of planet terror when it cuts the black after, right before it starts up with with the trail with the trailers and everything the guy in the back goes next <laughs> and i was like it was like okay but everybody was really feeling death proof. Like that was like, especially at the end, the last scene. And uh, I walked out of there. I had a good time. Like I had a good enough time that I think that weekend, some friends of ours came to stay to go swimming at the beach and everything and, and just be at the beach in general. And 
I talked, my friend Jason was one of them and Jason and our friend Matt. And I think, I can't remember if our friend Doug went, I think Doug went with us and we all went again. And Jason and I were the two that watched a lot of these type of movies together, like old schlocky horror films and, and, and low budget action movies. We watched a lot of stuff like that. Like the original, like they, they, all these movies that they reference in Death Proof, for instance, like Vanishing Point, Gaunt, the original Gone in 60 Seconds, Great Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, all those type of movies. We, we had seen them like before this came out, before, you know, before they name dropped them in the movie. So we kind of felt like we were a sort of in on it, you know. But like my friend Doug and Matt, they had no clue what types of movies these were. So they were totally thrown off. And I remember, especially with Planet Terror. Doug was just like, what the fuck are we watching? That was just kind of his general reaction, you know. But we had a good time with it. And and I think Death Proof has some really good, like, the way they shoot the car stuff is all stubbing shit. Nobody shoots car chases like that anymore. Like, they even talk about it in the movie, how you, that nobody really shoots car chases with, with actual cars crashing into each other and stuff anymore. But see, I grew up on, like, Mad Max and Terminator 2, which was sort of like, the last of those type of crazy stunts would like where they're flying actual helicopters under the LA overpass under the LA overpass and crashing at, you know, mixing it with models and stuff, but doing actual stunts and stuff. I grew up on those type of movies from older than that and all the way up. And by the time you get into the late nineties, early two thousands, you're not getting by that. By that point you're getting into the gone. Assist, I mean the gone, well, the remake of gone in 60 seconds, but the fast and furious era, and I know that that era has its fans and everything, but like there is something to be said about uh, the old ways when it comes to like actual car stunts and stuff. So I was I was down with it, like I was totally into it, man, and and I was excited about it. And well, I came out of the theater both times. We had a good time with it. That's all I can say. But like as soon as Death Proof came out on DVD, that was the one I was most excited for because i thought that was the one that was like a legit film i have my issues with both of them now like on rewatch but that was the one that felt like emotionally like i could connect to it uh, to a degree and i liked i was interested in seeing the extended cut which i don't think does it any favors actually i, I prefer the theatrical version of that yeah that's but, what i watched and i watched the extended of both cuts but the yeah the extended cut of death proof yeah, we'll we'll be into that. We'll get into that. I'm interested to hear what you say because I haven't watched that version in a long time. I, I think I watched it two or three times back when I bought the DVD. But I, when I watched it with Heather and and my friend Christy, who we who lived with us at the beach, when I watched it with them, and I was so excited for them to see Death Proof because I thought they're gonna love this. You know, this is gonna be so much. They were just kind of like, yeah. I mean, they didn't dislike it, but they were both kind of like my my memory of them watching it was just. They just weren't really that that impressed with it. And I remember being kind of like bummed about that because I thought they'd be super excited about it. And uh, I think I watched it with another group of friends. We were all maybe a little, a little, a few shots in, and it was a pretty good time uh, that time. Um, but then I never watched it with like I never watched it like I kind of judge like s certain films that I love. I will watch with a group of people and get kind of that communal experience. And, and to me. Other than when I watched it with the friends that were kind of drunk at the time. I don't know. It just didn't really land with people. That doesn't mean that I don't enjoy it by any means. I me mean, personally, it's my kind of thing. It's just not everybody's type of thing. Um, and probably not a good party movie because there's just a ton of talking. It really doesn't ramp up until the end. Um, 
but that was my first experience with it. It's it was the same kind of actually almost identical to your experience uh, as far as the theater experience goes. But I walked out. I walked out happy. Like I was fine with it. I just didn't think it. I didn't understand why it didn't connect. And I kind of have some theories about that. But do you know kind of what everybody's stance is on it? Not really. Like that's the thing. Like. So it was kind of an awkward thing going on at the time. So going back to Scream, which this whole podcast kind of got started because we were talking about Scream. So apparently sometime during the making of or after the making of Scream, Harvey Weinstein had forced himself upon Rose McGowan. So he blacklisted Rose from being in any movies related to Weinstein's, whether it be a Dimension film or... or uh, Miramax or whatever. So he, by the time Death Proof comes out, it's the Weinstein Company because uh, I guess they had sold Miramax or whatever. And so apparently, and I don't know how true any of this is because so much like Rose Rose's story has changed a couple times, and Robert Rodriguez has only talked about it a couple times. But from what I understand, she met him at a party while they were like planning death proof like it hasn't it hasn't even started shooting of course and they they kind of hit it off at the party and so she he's like well hey oh she said i really liked there was a movie that he did sin city she said i really love sin city which by the way i had a great theatrical experience with sin city we had so much fun with that movie came out and it was that's it was hugely loved when it came out like everybody i know that saw it and were excited about it loved it so yeah, that's why I was confused like you were with Death Proof. But anyway, so she said, I really like Sin City. I wish I had gotten a role in that. I would have loved to have been in that movie. And he said, well, why didn't you audition for it? You would have been great in it. And she said, um, well, I can, I'm not allowed to be in any movies from the Weinsteins. And he said, what are you talking about? Like, what happened? So she told him before the story went public, she told Robert Rodriguez about what happened with Harvey Weinstein. And he said, that's bullshit. You know, in his words, he was like, well, if I had known about that, he said, well, he asked her, like, what did your fiance do? And she's like, I don't know what she said, but he said, well, if it had been me, I would have whooped his ass or something like, you know, the kind of thing you'd expect somebody to say in that situation. And long story short, he said, well, I'm working on this new movie and I want you to be in it. So that's how she got casted. And he said, I'm going he and Tarantino had full control over this. Like Tarantino has final cut anyway with at the time and probably still does with them. He had final cut. So basically that they've given contractually, as far as I understand when they, when the, before they made any of their movies after, I don't know if it was after Pulp Fiction that he got that, but I'm guessing it was, they have no say over casting. So because he was working on it with Tarantino, uh, and basically their whole idea of it, idea behind it was if we cast Rose and Harvey objects, he's going to have to admit what he did. So it's either he keeps quiet about it and just lets it go, or he makes it public that he's blackballing Rose, you know, that sort of thing. This is all allegedly hearsay, blah, 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 blah. I don't know how 100% true any of this is, but I think it's a mixture of everything. So, basically, he casts Rose, Tarantino's down with it, 
Rodriguez is down with it. They have all the power in this situation, so they proceed with the film. And there was one scene that Rose objected to later on, whether it was in the original script or not, or whether it was written on the sheet. She later on, and I think it's probably a mix between trauma and other stuff. It was, you know, the scene where Tarantino tries to rape her in Planet Terror was apparently an attempt to kind of like Scream 3, where they some somebody possibly Wes Craven himself was writing that subplot into Scream 3 about the producer being a rapist uh, was a way to like take a dig at Harvey without without him being able to do anything about it because they did not get along at all and and rumor has it Wes Craven did some of the rewrites along with Carrie Fisher actually on Scream 3 and that some of that content was aimed directly at Harvey but it was he couldn't publicly say anything about it or do anything because he would have to admit that he was a rapist piece of shit so long story short that was kind of the attempt with planet terror was to kind of hold Harvey over the barrel meanwhile none of these people really spoke out publicly against him up until it became a big deal right but Robert Rodriguez says that the reason why he didn't say anything was because he didn't want to screw up any potential lawsuit that Rose might eventually bring against Harvey or that sort of thing. So everybody was cool with it at the time when they were making it, but then there's been some hurt feelings that came out after. But it doesn't help that Robert Rodriguez had an affair with Rose McGowan and ruined his own marriage over it and all that kind of stuff. But that's their business and, you know, I'm not getting into all that. But that that's the story. So from what Tarantino says now, he didn't really go into all the stuff that Rodriguez and Rose McGowan went into, but from what Tarantino said, he feels like the Weinsteins Harvey specifically, because apparently it's considered most people consider Bob being, even though he's probably an asshole that he didn't have anything to do with the whole rape stuff, but I don't know how true, how complicit Bob is really, but that doesn't matter. The point is, they think that Harvey buried the film's marketing. That the reason why the movie failed is because it just wasn't marketed as the way that they had marketed Kill Bill and all the other stuff. Which is weird to me because I remember it pretty well. Like it was in the it was in the the trades, as they say. It was it was not common knowledge. I and I I recall it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I recall plenty of. Uh... You know, just seeing ad commercials on TV, you know, ads in the, you know, in my in the comics or something like that. I definitely recall seeing it. Um, Man, and I, but see, I'm not a good judge on this because I lived, eat, and I was living, eating, and breathing movies at this time. Like there was nothing else. Like I didn't have kids. I was 100% still trying to eventually have my own film career. I was writing. I was writing and reading and watching constantly. That's all I did. I had a night night, night loss prevention job that did not care what I did as long as I was in the seat. And all I did during that time was write movies, watch movies, read about movies, and read books like novels or whatever just, just to kind of keep my mind like just constantly in some sort of creative state. And listen to music, and that's all I did. And I had I carried a lap my laptop and my iPod were all I ever took to work, or maybe sometimes a book if I was reading a book. And on that iPod, I had a trailer for Grindhouse because I was so excited about it. I downloaded the trailer to my iPod and and watched it. Like I was like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be amazing. And um, yeah, 
remember it being buried, but maybe it was to the average person. If you were just, if you only ever saw movie trailers watching, you know, Monday night football or Sunday football or something, maybe it was buried. But if you were like a film kid, which I feel like this is the type of movie that was aimed at film nerds. And I don't think it had the crossover appeal as something like, even strangely enough, Sin City, it's a detective noir story. Like that, that's a little more like, even though that movie's by no means a mainstream film, the way it's shot and the subject matter, it still feels like it's like LA confidential had been a big hit just a few years before. Right. So it feels like you might get some of those LA confidential vibes off of, off of uh sin city, you know, and it's a detective story and all that, you know, it's super weird. I'm sure there were people that saw it and didn't know how to take it. But it still feels familiar to the, that a normal person could go see it. Planet Terror, that is so specifically niche to a certain group of filmgoers that, like, I just don't see that having a lot of mainstream appeal. It surprised me that Kill Bill did as well as it did because I loved it. That was like my shit 100%. But like that movie's super weird. And um, I don't know, man. I mean, like all the other Tarantino movies and Rodriguez movies would appeal to anyone that like gangster movies or, or, um, you know, comedies. Cause a lot of, there's a lot of them are funny, you know, like Pulp Fiction's funny. Like it, it was marketed more as a comedy from what I remember, a dark comedy, but still a comedy. Um, and Reservoir Dogs was popular in the film industry and maybe among film kids, but I feel like that one was retroactively popular after Pulp Fiction. Like, like I remember vaguely hearing about it, but it was after Pulp Fiction that a lot of people went and discovered Reservoir Dogs. A lot of just normal, everyday people, not people within the industry or super into film and stuff. So well, I don't... That, was, that was me, because I didn't... Like I said, Kill Bill was the first I saw, but I didn't know the order, like the order of Tarantino's filmography. I saw, I always thought Pulp Fiction was the, was his first because that's the one that was, that was the breakthrough. And then I discovered Reservoir Dogs was, you know, two years earlier. Yeah. So in 2010, so a couple of years after Grindhouse had came out, I remember we were shooting a short film that, that John was my cinematographer for when I still lived at the beach and everything. Ryan was a baby and Heather and Brian had gone uh, to visit family while we were shooting. So we could take over the whole house and with the crew and everything. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And I remember us just sitting around one night, not shooting and talking about movies and grindhouse came up and, and like some people didn't even, hadn't even seen it. And some people we're talking about how they didn't care for it or they like one more than the other, that sort of thing. But the one conversation that I, the, my point is, is like grindhouse attempts to go even further into a dangerous style of filmmaking that not everybody likes. It doesn't succeed a hundred percent in my opinion, but it does attempt to at least flirt with exploitation cinema. And you can say what you want to, but like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and and all and Kill Bill and, and all of that Tarantino stuff that seemed so dangerous at the time has nothing on the like how irreverent and dangerous some of those exploitation films are. <laughs> it's just that they never went mainstream, so they never were. On, they were really only controversial to a certain group of people. You know what I mean? Whereas Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, all that went went mainstream in a big way. So there, so the moments of of craziness in those movies 
became more of a talking point. But those same and movies had done way worse stuff than than, than anything that was in those movies. Watch like you and I like like the Pam Greer movies and stuff. There's some shit in those movies that is like way worse than anything Tarantino ever filmed. <laughs> you know, just in terms of exploitation and everything. Or or the violence level and, and some of the just crazy shit. Like I there there was a couple there a couple scenes in in any given movie from that period that I'm just like, God, they would never film that now. And probably for good reason. <laughs> but yeah, I mean they do flirt with that with Grindhouse, but so the scene that so we're talking about it. We're sitting around talking about it, the whole reason why I brought it up. And I knew that the guy who said this wasn't really into this type of movie because he wasn't, or maybe he just didn't really get what type of movie that they were flirting with. Cause the one scene that I remember in planet terror that really, really could cross the line into exploitation film in terms of the way it's trying to be upsetting is the kid where the kid, the scene where the kid shoots himself in the face. Oh, and see, he said, that's not where I thought you were going. Actually. Oh, <laughs> well, he, he said, I liked everything in it except for the scene where the kid shoots himself. And I said, you didn't even see the kid shoot himself. They they cut away. If it was a real exploitation film, they would have shown yeah. that kid blow his face off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which he looked at me horrified. You know, I was like, man, the type of movie that they're trying to do is that type of movie. Like Assault on Precinct 13 by John Carpenter has a kid buying ice cream and getting shot. Like a kid getting murdered for no reason—that's an exploitation film. Or, 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 uh, or uh, with Craven, with you know, Last House on the Left, you have, you have your these two young girls who are your protagonists, and oh, kind of almost like like Psycho in a way, but even probably even more so than Psycho, you're seeing them brutally assaulted and murdered. Oh yeah. It's so disturbing. Yeah, that's the sort of thing they take like and it's very intentional. Like Craven actually was trying to make a point that which was kind of actually almost against exploitation in a weird way. I mean, I don't think he necessarily was making the comment about movies, but more about society and the way people sanitize violence in movies. And in a strange way, the characters in the film are so, and it really just came from the actors themselves were so stunned by the scene that they had just filmed, but the scene where they're all cleaning the blood off their hands, that even these murderers are kind of shocked at how far they went with it. And it's a real quiet, it's real disturbing. It's probably the most disturbing scene in the movie, in my opinion, is after they gut that girl, they're like just sitting there, you know, washing the blood off their hands. And I think the looks on their faces are unintentionally great performances because I think that they were just genuinely kind of like put off about what they were the subject matter of what they were filming. And in a way, Craven's kind of like, okay, no, this is real violence, even though that it's still fake for the purpose of the movie. But in terms of when you're watching it, there is something that feels different about it. It doesn't. And, and, and for all the violence in a Tarantino movie, it always feels like you're watching a movie. Like, and that's fine to me. Like to me, Scorsese comes a little closer to shooting, portraying violence in the, in it's, in its kind of um, vacant way. Sometimes some of these characters are just so emotionally stunted that it doesn't affect them the same way it affects us. And that's kind of the shock of it. But Tarantino is like a film guy. He's like, I want you to, you're, I'm going to be gross and I'm going to do crazy shit, but I want you to be having fun. Cause this is a movie after all. And it's all right. 
And I like that because sometimes I just want to watch a movie. I don't necessarily want to be taught something or I don't necessarily want to. uh, I mean, I go into a different place if I'm watching. I'm fine with either method. It depends on the type of movie you're telling. With Tarantino, he's just wanting you to watch a movie. Here's a movie that I would want to go see and boom and so so a lot of these type of movies were movies that he liked to go see so he that's why he borrows so much from that from those genres but he has an appreciation for movies that maybe do it better and i'm not saying that i don't know i don't have a problem i don't i'm trying to think of a time when tarantino ever really used violence in a real way as like oh this is really how it is i don't think he that's just not the type of movies he makes and that's fine but I mean, come on! Planet Terror is so over the top, ridiculous. Uh, first of all, tell me what you think about each movie. Um, so the original—it's—it's it's so weird. Like Planet Terror, I feel Robert Rodriguez was far more consistent in what he was aiming for. You know, he picked. Elaine and he went with it um and for 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 death proof with Tarantino it's the weird <laughs> death proof is always the 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 linchpin of the whole grindhouse discussion it's weird because it's the film that I tend to revisit the most yet it would be last in my rankings of Tarantino's filmography and that would be because it's inconsistent because it's on one half one half it's a slasher film and then the other half is a uh like a a, a road like a road trip movie and like a revenge I, thing yeah and i don't and the thing is i don't know if they if it if it works but like i said like Planet Terror to me is the more consistent film, but it's actually the one I kind of go back to maybe the least. I think sometimes I think some of the uh, some of the I'll, I'll say the, the 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 zombie gross out effects are outstanding. Oh yeah, um, there's even I, a really cool homage to the thing in there. Like I still like I still turn my head when. Uh, Tarantino is about to assault uh, Rose McGowan, and then uh, you know his balls just start to melt off and all that. <laughs> I actually still have to turn away from that because I was like, "Oh, that's yeah, that even that's a little too much." But it's it's effective, and Rodriguez definitely gets the idea of what that type of uh, you know that type of cinema is. I always remember. I wish I could find it. it was years a long long time ago. There was a document. Guess it was a documentary. I don't know. It was a, it was a documentary. I think I saw on TV, and they were showing like the grossest uh, movie scenes, and I never knew what the name of it was, but I was like fascinated. And these weren't all like you know, the big budget movies and all that. They were showing a lot of these low budget uh, uh, action sci-fi movies that um, that had this and. You know, you would get something in there eventually, like uh, you know, scanners or something like that. Um, mm. But, um, but yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, Rodriguez definitely got 
the idea, as, as the kids say online, he understood the assignment. I don't want to say that Tarantino didn't understand the assignment. I think Tarantino with Death Proof was so gleeful about making his his ode to exploitation grindhouse cinema that he had a bunch of, I mean, the Death Proof works. It, it works. Like, it's not like you're, you're going to watch it and be like, I don't know how we got from A to B. But you really go from A to, like, you go from A to B. Like, the second half of the, with the other group of women does not feel at all like the first half. Uh, you know, the first half is definitely a psycho killer using a, you know, he's, a, you know, Stuntman Mike is a slasher killer. He's just using a car um, instead of a knife or an axe or, or a machete or something like that. Um, now, I will say what I love about the second half of, uh, of Death Proof, I love Kurt Russell's uh, uh, blubbering and sobbing and <laughs> screaming. I love it. I laugh my head off every time when he's just crying, when he has to pour the alcohol on his shoulder. Um, then when they when they finally uh, take the car down and they drag him out the car and he's just blubbering and crying. I love it. I, it Great, great acting uh, from that from him from Russell. My rewatch experience with Planet Terror has suffered only because I'm not a huge fan of like let's make an intentionally over the top. Yeah, well, intentionally over the top is fine. Let's let's not pretend like they didn't know they were doing over the top shit with the type of movies this is riffing on. The problem is it feels too tame sometimes. Like, the zombie effects are great. It's awesome, by the way, to see Michael Bean in something this much. Like, that yeah. was... Even watching it again yesterday, I was like, oh, man, I forgot Michael Bean was in it as much as he is. And he gets to be in it with Tom Savini. That's cool. So that's exciting and fun. And it kind of feels like... um it fits almost kind of like... See, they did this kind of thing with From Dust Till Dawn. And it was and it was a little uneven too because it's a gangster movie in the first half and then it's a vampire movie in the last half or in the last thirty minutes or whatever. And somehow or another it works though because the script's actually kind of tight for From Dust Till Dawn. Like it just happens to become a vampire movie. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't tell you. Uh for those of you who saw it originally and didn't have any clue until the end. But it kind of works because the script stays solid. and even though the they it becomes a vampire movie at the end, all the characters remain consistent that we've seen up to that point. And so it was kind of, so really, if you want to see to me a better, imagine, imagine this, Eric, imagine Grindhouse exactly as it is with the same fake trailers in the same place. And you see from dusk till dawn feature and Kill Bill volume one is the second feature. Yes, I would, I would take that. I would like, take that over. That over is an place. amazing double feature. <laughs> yeah. However, the problem, I guess the problem that I have with, with Planet Terror is I don't care about anybody in this story at yes. all. And I, I don't have to, in a weird way, and I and I know people will be like, well, you don't watch those old schlocky movies for characters. Yes, the fuck I do. The most, the best characters ever are in these old schlocky exploitation films. Some of these characters are amazing. Just some of them are it's crazy and it doesn't always work, but when they do work, like, I mean, 
I think of a movie like uh, if you're talking specifically like zombie movies, you talk about like Return of the Living Dead. Now that is a a film. Just that is the kind of mayhem that I think Planet Terror is trying to go for. But Return of the Living Dead is amazing. Like the characters are great. The writing is good. Uh, we're going to definitely watch it on this show at some point. I know you watched it recently, but to me, if I had to watch, if I was someone's like, are you wanting to watch Return of the Living Dead or you want to watch Planet Terror? I'm going to be like, oh, give me Return of the Living Dead because there's something um, genuine about it. Like they're really trying to make a good movie. And I think with Planet Terror, like they're intentionally making a bad movie. Like they, if they had just made it, a, tried to make a good movie and, and still did it with the shitty looking scratched up film effects. I'm like, that's fine. But they intentionally do stupid stuff in there. Uh, I mean, I'm not even talking about Rose McGowan's leg. That was kind of funny. But the the stuff, the bad, the intentionally hammy dialogue and like, we're like, wink, wink, we're fully aware we're making a shit movie. No, just make it a good movie and do weird crap in it that yeah. you wouldn't normally do in a good movie. That makes it a, a that would have been a little better for me. I'm being really critical only because rarely do i find intentionally bad movies as fun as like unintentionally bad movies yeah and you can you, you know when when that happens you see through it um right away because you then you get to questioning well do you really love this th thing you know you know that you were trying to make um so yeah i would i i, I agree uh wholeheartedly. that's not to say that it's not fun it's yeah. not to say that it's not fun. Like the like you said, the special effects are like one of my favorite shots in it that we I mentioned a second ago was was the with well, the scene with Tarantino when he like starts changing into this monster and the, he throws up this thing and it like shoots little tendrils out and it's just that quick shot. It reminds me of the effects from the thing and it was pretty cool. And I would have liked to have seen more stuff like that, but that was such a quick little shot that it's almost you almost forget about it. But um, I mean it's not bad. I mean it's just like. By the end of it, the scene where El Ray or whatever is dying, um, and he's like, uh, she's like, I, I, I can't remember what she said, something about having his baby, and he's like, oh, but you are, you are gonna have my baby because I never miss, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just like, they're intentionally being hammy here. Like, I don't know. It's not as fun as if that line was like genuine. Like, I don't know. Bruce Campbell might could have delivered it and and it and it worked because he's Bruce Campbell. But like, give me an Evil Dead two or a uh, Return of the Living Dead or you know, there's so many examples of where like obviously they knew they were making a comedy with Evil Dead two, but like somehow or another it works despite itself, and they're still genuinely being creative and clever and there are some creative clever things in planet terror but it just kind of it's like i don't know it's a little too wink wink at times and it's not funny as like airplane self-awareness of the genre it's like it's not a parody it's like i don't know it doesn't it wants it both ways and every time i want to care about somebody in it and they didn't really have to do much like they had good actors the scene with uh michael bean and and the guy who plays his brother at the barbecue joint like they they kind of set up an actual character arc for these two over this barbecue recipe, right? And then and then when they do that missing real thing, which actually at the time I thought was pretty funny, and it cuts to the chaos of the zombie invasion. And then at the end of the movie, like they're both, you know, gonna die. They missed like you lost like and I know that was the point, but that was a mistake. Like you lost like whatever 
kind of crazy shit drew them back together. Like I actually wanted to like them, but at the same time, I feel nothing when it happens. So, so funny thing you brought that up. I watched because I've watched Planet Terror a bunch of times. So I watched the the extended cut with uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, commentary, um, and he mentioned that um, said that when. Um, when you know they were all view, viewing the film, and 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 Michael Bean um, saw that, that said that even Michael had to ask him. He was like, "Well, hey, you know, we had a little, we had a little something there." He's like, "I get the joke." He was like, "But he's like, it's kind of a shame because you know we we had a little something in." There. Yeah, it actually kind of works on an emotional level, and you're like, "But it's missing an element." Oh yeah, the actual part of the story that would have led to this moment is missing but that scene is damn good like the way they acted out like even the actor playing the barbecue guy which could have been a one note joke i actually thought well this guy's given a much better performance than this movie is asking for yeah are you there yeah Yeah. yeah. sorry yeah i thought that was very yeah that was just very interesting that you brought that up and yeah he mentioned it rodriguez mentioned he was like yeah you know you know, obviously we were going to, we always had planned to do that and said that when we showed it to people, um, Michael Bean, you know, was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I get it. He was like, but yeah, I kind of really wish you'd have, you'd have had us, you know, shot us with something, um, with something there. Cause he said, I think that we still would have <laughs> kept the vibe of the, of the film, but they accidentally gave a good performance. <laughs> yeah. 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 But well, and because that's what Bean was saying. He was saying that he was like, you know, it's not too, he was like, it's not often that I get to, you know, give a, you know, a performance with some sort of, uh, uh, you know, some sort of nuance or some sort of depth, uh, a depth. So he, he was kind of surprised that, that, you know, he knew they filmed it. And then, then when they saw it, it was like, wait a minute. Yeah. You never get, let us, uh, this if we'd have finished this we would have really had something it's really strange it left me feeling kind of like there's a missed opportunity because they could have just made it less of a parody and more of a genuine film and it might have even been it might have fared even better than what it ultimately does which is it's fun if you're a horror fan but it has nothing to bite onto beyond that and say what you want but put in night of the creeps and even if somebody's not a horror fan, there's some like great characters in that movie. Like the main, the main two friends in that movie, I love those characters. And Tom Atkinson, as the dad, the you know he's playing a role kind of like Michael Bean. He's he's kind of that character in that movie. And his whole thing at the end of that movie is fantastic, and it hits home, and it just works. And I'm like, you can make good bad movies. And actually, yeah. Night Creeps is a pretty damn good movie. But I'm just saying. Um, I don't know. It feels too much like he's like, and I'm not, you know, whatever. I still had a good time with Grindhouse. I'm not saying I don't, but I'm just like, man, I'm kind of a missed opportunity. Make a good movie and make it still, still do things that you couldn't normally do in a, uh, in a tasteful picture, you know, do, do the exploitation route, go, go and do the drive-in thing where you splatter brains all over the screen, but write some characters that aren't just parodies of characters that we've seen before, make them actual characters. And yeah, they accidentally are giving a good performance in that scene, but it just feels hollow because we don't know what the context is. It's really strange. It was, it it really struck me more than any other rewatch was that I'm like, damn, why am I so invested in this moment? Cause actually it's well performed. (laughs) Well, like I I think it is cause they, they seem like the only characters that you, um, that you, 
you know, you kind of latch on to. I, I never really kind of latched on to, uh, uh, you know, Rose McGowan's uh, Cherry Darling, even though she's the, you know, the, the focal point and, you know, basically the main part of advertisement for basically the entire uh, double feature and all that with her, you know, her machine gun leg and all that. But I didn't really get into, you know, much with her or El Ray or... Uh, yeah, El Ray sucks. Yeah, like, El, he's, a, El like he's annoying. Yeah, El Ray seems like he's supposed to be like a character out of a John Carpenter movie, but and and the score is pretty pretty memorable and good because it feels like a John Carpenter score. Like I think it might be one of Rodriguez one of Rodriguez's best scores. Like he does a great job with it. It feels like a B movie, uh, or a great you know, like I said, kind of a John Carpenter ish score. And I was into it because I was like, mm, you know, like this is a better score than than this movie deserves. <laughs> like it's pretty good. Like I. I actually can find myself humming it. And there's there were uh, one of the things that I noticed because I'm such a freaking nerd when it comes to this sort of thing, but like the score has little hints of like the the theme the music from um Badlands and True Romance, that same little like doom 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 doom. No 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 Broken Arrow, Broken Arrow. The that later became repurposed as Dewey's theme. And scream too, oh. like the doon 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 doon, you know, like, and there's just something like cool about that. And then the scene, the love scene or whatever, when it does that slow kind of piano part, it reminded me of Terminator One, uh, with the love scene music and that, where they just repurposed the main score, but in the softer, you know, piano version. Um, so there were things about it that I was like, at the time especially, I was just like, okay, this is made for me. This is cool. But watching it all, like multiple times, and I do need to watch the extended cut again to see, does it, in your opinion, fare better in the extended cut than it does, than uh, Death Proof does? Truth be told, I couldn't really tell what was the, like, what was the difference. Um, now I got to watch the theatrical again. I can't, I remember movie. being disappointed at the time. I don't think I watched Planet Terror extended but once. And I remember being disappointed because it didn't actually extend the stuff that I thought it was going to do. Like, I think it still contains the missing reel. It does, which which I was actually disappointed when I bought it because I thought, oh, okay, that's what, you know, that's what they were going to do. They were going to put that reel back in, but it's like, no, they still don't. Which, by the way... Now I read this online, and I and I and being that I didn't, I was not there or alive during this period of time where I could definitively say. But from what I understand, that was not a very common thing to happen. It it wasn't uncommon for there to be different edits of films, and there still and it still isn't for like international markets things like that. And you might would have moments where the film would break because it had been overplayed or or and the scratches and all that kind of stuff, which is from it being overplayed and transported around and stuff, but. It wasn't common for a film to have a missing reel. Apparently, that actually happened to Tarantino, but I think it was something he privately bought, and when he was watching the film at home, one of the reels was missing, and then he had to kind of try to piece it together, like what might have happened in that missing reel so it would make sense. And I think that was kind of where they got the idea for the joke, but I don't think it was common to go to the theater and it'd be missing an entire section of the film. <laughs> Although at the time when it happened, I was totally on board with that joke and I thought it was funny. But yeah, I was disappointed. I was like, okay, well, what's the point of doing an extended cut if you're not going to put the missing reel back in? Oh, because you never actually filmed anything there at all, period. That that was just a way to to get to the, you know, the more, you know, 
at the end of the day, if you just want to see bodies exploding and some pretty cool practical gore effects, which was surprising at the time considering how much Rodriguez loves to do digital stuff, the practical effects in, in this hold up pretty well. Like, they're fun splatter effects. Like, one of my favorite moments is the where they're on the in the vehicle, uh, in the in the trucks and the motorcycles and everything, and they're, like, driving out of town, and they're just running. Like, the trucks, the tow trucks just hitting zombies. Oh, yeah. And, exploding all over i mean it, that was cool <laughs> i like um at the, when they're in the uh the helicopter and they tilt it down and use the blades to oh yeah because i used to do that on grand theft auto vice city <laughs> <laughs> would you do that you ever did that on the beach in the game oh yeah <laughs> that's the first thing i thought of my friend jason and i laughed about because we'd spent too much time chopping people up with the helicopter in Vice City. So when we saw this movie and that happened, we were like, oh, they stole that from us. <laughs> but yeah, that was funny. I mean, it's cool, man. Like, we're sitting here laughing and smiling about it. It, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It's just that, so when Death Proof came on, uh, on rewatch, it suffers a little bit in rewatch too, honestly. it's. I have one thing negative to say about Death Proof. Tarantino at the time when it came out was on some talk show. I don't remember if it was The Tonight Show or, or what it was, but I remember watching it just because he was going to be the guest because I never really got into those late night. Occasionally I'd watch Letterman and I'd definitely like Conan O'Brien, but I never really watched those shows on the regular or anything like that. But he was on, it might have actually been Conan that he was on because he came on there a lot back in the day. And he said, I'm a good writer. Uh, if if the movie has nothing else going for it, I'm a good writer. And I don't disagree with him. I think he is a talented writer. But the worst movie he ever wrote was Death Proof. Yes, I would I, I would agree. Um, Only because he doesn't... It doesn't feel like any of these characters sound like anything other than Tarantino's writing. Like, you can hear his voice in each of these characters, and none of them are very distinct. And that's that when I when I I am due earlier today before we started recording, and I said that like for better or for worse, Death Proof is the most Tarantino of Tarantino films. That's exactly what I was thinking because when I was watching it, I I watched since I said I watched the extended cuts of both, so I watched Death Proof uh, today, and the whole time I'm like, the difference between because. Death Proof is his film after Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2. So I'm like, what makes Death Proof different from Kill Bill, from Jackie Brown, from Pulp Fiction, and from Reservoir Dogs? The difference, the, the difference is, is that Death Proof is Tarantino knowing and is aware of what he does as a Quentin Tarantino film, and he puts that in, whereas the other films are like are like I said it's it's what he borrows from what he um, you know what he's inspired by and he puts a voice to he puts you know his style his voice um, I just picked up the uh, the the 4K of uh, true true romance even though he didn't direct that Tony Scott did but he wrote it but it's the same thing that's that's something that he's putting his voice to uh, but but he gets. The characters distinct voices at yes. the same time. Yeah. Yes, but Death Proof, everything about Death Proof, every character in Death Proof is Quentin Tarantino. Every woman in that film 
and talking <laughs> as if they are Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And it's weird because the performances are so good, it saves it. Yeah. The performances are really interesting and fun. And I would say that my favorite part of the film is the when they get over to uh actually the scenes with Tarantino at the bar. Like I love those scenes. Like the like from the moment those friends get to that point. I think the the movie picks up for me about the scene where um Butterfly sees Stuntman Mike drive by in the car and then the tension starts kind of rack you know, ratcheting up and then when they get to uh is it what's his name in the movie? Warren, the bartender. Tarantino's character Um, when they get to his bar like everything there like it kind of feels kind of the same way you and I've talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which is a really well written movie Um, how it feels like okay I like hanging out with these people for this time I enjoyed hanging out with them when they were at that bar like I like the whole scene with Julia texting the her you know I guess the guy she was hoping to go out with and the cuts between that and the what's playing on the jukebox, the soundtrack's fantastic. The whole vibe of that whole bar is fantastic. Uh, the scene with Stuntman Mike when he first comes up to them, he's talking to them outside. Like that's all real tense and good, and performances are all great. And like I enjoyed, like so I really enjoyed hanging out with them, and would have taken an entire film of him stalking them individually, like a, like you said, a slasher film instead of them spending all this time with them, me really enjoying hanging out with them and then killing them all. And now we're with a whole nother group of people, like you said, that with no connection to the first group, which isn't a problem if it had been in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. As like a scream style intro, right? Instead of it being just one person killed, you think Drew Barrymore might could be the main character or you think Janet Lee and Psycho might be the main character and then they could die off to... And Psycho is also strange the way it does it, but it works. And because it wasn't the entire freaking first however long, you know, it didn't spend as much time with her as it did with these two these people. So when you finally get to this new group, I don't care about them as much. I don't I like Zoe and I like the I can't remember all their names. I like I like them all. I just don't care about them as much. And then the one character that's a total waste and shouldn't even be in the movie is Mary Elizabeth Winston, which I hate to say because I like her. I like her as an actress. She's amazing in the in the thing. We watched it for the show a while back. She's great in, in that prequel to the thing. And uh, but, I liked her as... Go she's ahead. Just there, I was going to say, but she's, she's literally just there to be left behind and you, you don't see her. Which the makes them like more unlikable. Yeah. And I don't have to have likable characters, but it's like, why even bother putting her in it? Cause you could have just done it with these three. These three are good. Yeah. And they're good together. Like they all, they do have distinct personalities. However, they still just feel like shades of Tarantino's personality. <laughs> yeah. I like the scene, but everything, if you started this movie, like a short film, on, from the moment they they drive off in in that Dodge Challenger, that's a cool short film. Like from them doing the stunt and everything, them talking about it like on the road and everything, and and getting the belts ready and everything. Zoe's actual stunt work in that scene, by the way, is amazing. Everything like I was holding my breath watching this every time I watch it because she's really on the hood of that car, really going that fast and really not like being very safe at all like that whole stunt's insane and she really did it because she's a stunt woman that's what she did before tarantino started putting her in movies in in these roles like she's also in once upon a time in hollywood 
playing uh, uh, Kurt Russell's wife or whatever. But hateful eight, doing hateful eight as well. Oh yeah, yep, she is in that. And so I mean, like she was Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill. So there's it was cool that she. I mean, she's the scene where stuntman Mike rams the car and she's like flopping all over the hood trying not to fall off that car she's either performing or she's being legit she looks scared like she looks like she's legit scared so if she was doing stunt the stunts which she obviously is which made it even more special because he's able to not cut away like he you're able to actually see clearly that it's her the whole time and it makes it so intense and crazy and but there are moments where she looks legitimately terrified. So either she's acting or maybe it's a mix of actual, like, this is insane. What am I doing? You know, like I'm, I'm genuinely scared for her. And then the scene where at the end would, or toward the end when she flies off the car and you're like, is she the first time I saw it? I didn't know she was okay or whatever. And then, um, they shoot them to shoot. She, she, the one woman shoots at him and, she pops up and is like Zoe the cat, you know, like they set that up all like good writing, good writing, but the dialogue is so painfully, uh, it's stereotypical Quentin Tarantino instead of just being like a world of difference when he did Inglorious Bastards. Like Inglorious Bastards was like blew me away at how well written it was. Like there, the way he ramps up the tension in that movie and the dialogue and the way he goes between different languages and everything else like that's probably my favorite example of his writing as being like, this is a really well-written film and he still gets to be crazy and over the top and turn it into his, his kind of like fantasy cinema fantasy. And um, I don't know. It works, man. But this movie here is maybe my least favorite in terms of that. I, even though there are moments that I, I just don't enjoy, I don't really enjoy the conversations that much. But when I first saw it, I was a defender of it. Like John, I remember John saying he didn't care for it, the dialogue at all in Death Proof. And I was like, no, man, it's pretty good. It's, you know, But it doesn't really feel like, it just feels like he's writing women as dudes. And yeah. I don't have a, I'm not talking about the vulgarity or anything. I shit. Women can be just as vulgar as men. But it just doesn't feel the. I don't know. It doesn't feel genuine. Like it just feels like he hasn't really hung out with women that much. And I know that probably isn't true. And it just, <laughs> I, I mean, he know. got his, I mean, he, you know, I mean, he got, he, he got his feet shot. That That's for sure. <laughs> he, he got his feet shot in there. That, well, the that, first group of, I think the first group of women feels a little more legit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the thing but is, when he gets into the film nerds, he can't help but be a film nerd and film nerd yeah. his way into it. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that that was the other thing too. Yeah, if they with the first group with Julia, Julia and Butterfly and 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 Shanna, um, um, which I which I remember just because uh, she was like, it's Shanna, not Shauna. And I had a friend, my friend Robert's sister was named Shanna, and she hung out with us all the time. So I, I joked with her about that scene because of that, because that happened to her all the time. People would call her Shauna, and she hated that. <laughs> But like yeah, they they feel more because with the extended the extended uh, version, it's an hour and fifty three minutes. Um, now compare that to the the extended cut of uh, Planet Terror, which is like ninety five minutes. So this one is already like oh, Death Proof is already like over time anyway. Um, and man, those minutes are wasted. Like I don't yeah. 
and you'll like, like when I I look by the by the time Stuckman Mike kills all the first group, there's still like the whole hour of film left, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like you're you you're indulging yourself just a you know just a bit too much here. Um, so next time I'll definitely just be watching the uh, well. The, the, see the, the scene the scene where stuntman Mike gets Rose Rose McGowan in the car and that whole thing that whole thing leading up to him doing that is is incredible. Yes. But when you have to now spend the same roughly amount roughly the same amount of time building these these new characters up it it feels odd. It, it's not the same as Psycho where is cuz in Psycho when you switch to these new characters they're in, actively investigating what happened to Janet Lee's character. So there's still that central mystery and so there's some urgency and some danger whereas in this case these women have no clue what happened to you know they don't have any connection whatsoever so maybe if they had maybe it would have been stereotypical but maybe if they had had some connection to the women that were killed the first time around and i i wonder did tarantino realize because like so there's a bit um after stuntman mike is uh in the hospital and uh earl mcgraw which i do which you know Kudos to always to to Michael Parks, um, but like so McGraw, he's saying, I don't know how this guy, I don't know how this guy did it, but I know he killed these women. Um, but then he's like, but I'll tell you what, if he does it again, he's not going to do it in Texas. And then the film cuts to that they're in Tennessee, and it's just as like, oh, okay, Quentin. So you've kind of just you just cheaped your way out of connecting this to just basically restart the movie. Which is fine because you're trying to make an imperfect film. And I get and some and I will say this, having watched some of the car movies that he's riffing on, they can be very plotting and pointless. Like what you're really getting to is the car scenes. So like when you watch a movie like that, you kind of know what you're getting into. Now I will say the exception to this rule movie that I genuinely love all the characters and the weirdness of is movie like white lightning. If you want to see a really good low budget seventies car movie, watch white lightning with Burt Reynolds. Like that shit is awesome. (laughs) But a lot of these type movies are fairly thin plots and kind of plotting and what you're really there for are the, the fast cars and you know, stuff like that. So that like, it's not that it, it actually, there are a number of movies that have that do terrible work trying to connect, like the dots on the script and everything. So like if he's going for that, then kudos to him. Like he probably understands the genre better than I ever will. But um, I'm just saying like on rewatch, it's a little more of a slog than it maybe was the first time I watched it, but I still, I'm right back into the driver's seat with them. Like when they go, when, when uh, Rosario Dawson says, so let's kill this motherfucker or whatever she says, you know, like I'm totally down with this. Like, I love that. Like, I remember when that scene happened in the theater, there, even though there was only like four or five of us in there, there was a jolt of energy. Like, Oh my God, she's, they're going after him. And, and, uh, when they, when they actually beat him down and everything, like when the movie, when the, when she brought that final kick down on his face, everybody started clapping. Yeah. Everybody, the five of us started clapping. It was great. It was a fun experience. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, it, it's not bad. It's a fun time. It's it's a cool double feature. It just, I I I I still think that um, Kill Bill, for all its weirdness in the first two movies, and the, for all its <laughs> self awareness of what kind of movie it is, and it's understanding that it's fully one hundred percent a fantasy film, that it's not at all based in the real world, emotionally works i don't know why it just does it's a combination of the performances it's the it's the fact that even though it's not trying at all to be realistic like i still care about it i still care about it i want her to kill bill like i want to see that and then when she does kill bill it's not the same it's even emotional like it that's an even that's even in the second movie i thought i was fully ready for her to kill this dude and feel good about it, right? But then, at the end of it, like, even though I still think he deserves to die, even he believes he deserves to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of this weird samurai bullshit movie code that's going on, that at the end of it all, I, I feel, like, totally satisfied by the end of, like, one of the most satisfying, and some people might disagree with me, but I think it's one of the most satisfying deaths of a villain in anything I've ever seen before because I fully care for for him and her and everybody involved like of this whole story I cared about there was never any moment that you couldn't feel sympathy for any of the other bad guys like you could feel sympathy for for uh Vivica Fox's character in the first one because she yeah. has killed in front of her daughter you could feel sympathy for Michael Madsen's character. You could feel sympathy for Lucy Liu's character. I could feel sympathy for all the bad guys because she's herself in another story would be the bad guy, right? She's just as dirty as they are, but we're following her revenge story, so we're going to root for her. But at the end of the day, like I care. The only character in Kill Bill that I don't feel sympathy for is 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 Daryl Hannah's character. Like I'm totally ready for her to die, the most horrible <laughs> deaths because she's the most low down piece of shit out of all of them she doesn't have any honor all the others in in there in in the logic of the story itself have some honor right um something about death proof and planet terror don't connect to me that way like it's weird and and i think that there's kind of a wall there uh that it's put up unintentionally but i get I care only because I don't want to see like I do I don't want to see stuntman Mike uh kill them because you know obviously he's you know he's a jerk but <laughs> I don't know it's weird I I, I I it's not as satisfying on rewatch as those other movies even from dust till dawn like and and as horrible as George Clooney and Tarantino's characters are as people at the end of of the movie like when they're all teaming up to fight vampires I'm like okay they're in this situation together let's let's see them you know get out of it like it's pretty cool uh so I, I do think the more satisfying grindhouse double feature for me would be from dust till dawn and and kill bill is still the same ricochet of or or you know it's still gonna have the same whiplash of going from one tonally crazy movie to another and even from dust till dawn works that way alone by itself um but more satisfying emotionally and with characters and everything and yeah, I, I would agree as well. You know, like um, I think about with um, um, like with, if you're just looking at Robert Rodriguez, you know, um, 
Desperado, El Mariachi and Desperado. You know, you're you're hooked on the character of uh, El Mariachi and and his story. Um, one of the problems, probably the problem with Once Upon a Time in Mexico is that he sidelines El Mariachi throughout the film um, pretty much. Um, and you're like, you don't care about, like, you know, uh, there's Johnny Depp's character and Eva Mendez's character, and you ultimately don't care about a lot of these other characters that he propped up, um, you know, in, other than uh, El Mariachi or even uh, Sin City. And, and I know that's based on you know, based on uh, comics by uh, Frank Miller, but even the characters in there, uh, you know, you have like Mickey Rourke's character, uh, Marv, uh, you know, Marv does some bad things, but, you know, just for that story, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're on to him. And uh, same thing with. Uh, yeah. Cause that world's, so, that world's so screwed up. Like, yeah. And you can latch on to his, his sense of honor in that story. Yeah, and um, Bruce Willis's uh, Bruce Willis's uh, uh, character in there um, because he's protecting uh, Jessica Alba um, throughout, or uh, Clive Owen's character. Um, yeah, so yeah, the, the the same thing. It applies for um, both directors. They both made films before and after this that um, kind of connect you more at, um, as an audience member to its characters while also simultaneously showing love to the, you know, those styles of uh, filmmaking that they, you know, love so much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think everybody's given an interesting performance. I'm not going to say anything negative about the actor who plays El Rey. I just don't think that, I think that's the least, I think that's the most nothing performance in, in any of it. Like, and I don't know why, but it, I don't I don't know what's going on there, but everybody, even I think Rose McGowan's doing a really good job. I just think like, I just don't care because there's no real story here. It's there's no real stakes. Cause I know I'm, they're just being silly. It's like watching people do a Saturday night live sketch or something, you know, in the, in the, as far as how much depth there is. And, and, and the one moment, like I said, we get with Michael Bean and that other guy, it, it's all wasted because we didn't have anything to connect it to. And whereas I do, I do think death proof is more of a real movie and um, what makes it, what makes the Tarantino verse, if you want to call it that so fun is cause you could add the Robert Rodriguez movies in there too. Cause he's in a lot of them or involved with some of them is that you have the, the mult, the multiple layers there where you, instead of it being a multiverse, with like different dimensions and stuff like with the, with the Marvel stuff or something like that with the Tarantino movies, you have the real world and you have the movies that those people in that world watch. And if you look at it like that, it's kind of fun to do because you could put kill bill and death proof, which I used to want to put kill bill. And I'm like, how could you make that has to be a movie that like, uh, that those characters would watch, you know? Yeah. It's sort of the story that Uma Thurman tells in Pulp Fiction. You almost say Kill Bill was like a a version of that story, you know, of of the show she did the pilot for. Like, okay, here's the show must have gotten made into a movie later on or something. But um, I mean, like there, like you could put, and sometimes the real world stuff gets weird. Like Pulp Fiction gets weird, but it still doesn't feel like there's anything in that movie that necessarily betrays it being real. Whereas like from dust till dawn and death proof and 
Planet Terror and all these kind of feel like these are the type of movies that Vincent Vega might go see or Jules or somebody might go see, you know, in that world at the theater or, or Max Cherry. Cause we know he likes going to the movie. So maybe he went to go see death proof. <laughs> but that, that might be the movie that he came out of. Uh, I can't remember if he said what movie it was. He went to go see at the mall that day, but yeah, stuff like that. It's kind of fun to think about and very unique. Cause there aren't very many filmmakers that made their own kind of connective world like that. So every time one comes out, you kind of have to think, okay, which of these is supposed to be Tarantino's real world and which are supposed to be his total fantasy. And uh, he really hasn't made any, he really hasn't made that many grounded films. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was so grounded, that was so unexpectedly grounded that at the end when it goes crazy and actually changes history cinematically, it threw me off, but in a good way, because it was so grounded up to that point that I was not expecting it. By the time we got there, it took me off guard. I actually spent a good amount of that movie uh, with dread. Oh, uh, me too. Because I fully knew what was coming, at least in my head. I thought we were so grounded in reality here that we were going to. I mean, I, I watched it with my parents and intentionally didn't tell them anything because I wanted to see, I wanted them to have that same experience. And because they knew that story very well, actually. And so they actually, like, I could see my mom tensing up as it got closer and closer to that. Because they're dead on the money with her movements and Sharon Tate's, like, where she was and when she was there and all that stuff. For that last part of the movie, like, everything they did, it played out exactly like how it happened up to the point where it turns left and doesn't, you know? And my dad knew as soon as that car pulled up like he knew who was he even knew their names like who was in the car like they remembered those that stuff and those details so well so uh yeah i was you and i were both the same way then because i saw it in the theater with a friend of mine uh me and fred went to see it and i and he and i were both like oh shit you know like and then it just goes completely bonkers and we're like laughing i'm like we probably only two that was a little <laughs> of a bigger crowd, but he and I are fucking laughing like lunatics uh, on the scene where, where Brad Pitt, like actually, you know, all that stuff happens and like every crazy thing, everybody else is like horrified or, or totally confused. And cause I think maybe they thought they were seeing a, an actual portrayal of the, of the murders. And, uh, but he and I are laughing our asses off. So anyway, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, everybody started laughing when Leo got the flamethrower. Yes, yes. <laughs> God, yes. Yeah, no, I, I remember my time with that, too, because, like, you know, that I, I was, I was, I had a whole, like, a, a pit in my stomach. That whole sequence of her at the movies and all that, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so heartbreaking. And then, like you said, then, you you know, you're expecting it to go one way, and then it doesn't. And, yeah. yeah. It, it, and what's so cool, and this is not, oh, this is totally off subject, but what was so cool about that was the total opposite effect of like, I didn't know how, I thought for sure, and this is nothing against Death Proof, which I actually do like, but I thought for sure that Death Proof would, would hit people the way it hit me, and they just didn't, did, and it didn't. Whereas with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I wasn't really sure how it would hit, so the when I watched it with my parents, I, you know, when it was all over, 
they didn't say anything and i was like mm, okay well i'm not gonna push them one way or the other but so like a, a, i don't know i didn't i didn't see him for like another week or so and next time i was around him dad said you know that movie we watched and I'm like, that was that was pretty good <laughs> like i really liked it like it was one of those things that kind of hit them after the fact like okay i'm down with this now like this you know and i was like yeah it's cinematic revenge it's a cinema it's like revenge for like an actual horrible tragedy that happened but we can only get some sort of satisfaction out of out of it through a movie almost like therapy like cinematic therapy kind of a thing and 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 see they were much more it's strange because i thought that they would get it Im immediately because with inglorious bastards we thought it was great when they burst in and blew hitler away and that was just as absurd you know and but they got that like right away but something about how ground but seeing glorious bastards was never necessarily trying to be 100 percent grounded in something like we knew it was takes place in a during a real thing and the nazis really did exist and all that kind of stuff but there was never an attempt to say this is based on a true story whereas with once upon a time in Hollywood, it was marketed when they first announced that I was dreading it in a way because it was like, why do we need to see another fucking movie about these fucking Manson family? Like, I, I'm so fucking tired of them. Like, and they've made like 50 movies about them and, and they all suck. And I'm and I'm just like, I don't need to see this. I was totally against it when I first heard he was making a Manson family movie because I thought it was going to be specifically about the Mansons. You know what I mean? And they just don't need any more fame. None of those people do. So anyway, <laughs> it, it, it surprised me, but that's off subject. But yeah, hey, Grindhouse is cool, but how cool it is probably depends on how, if you like these type of movies or not. And if you do like these type of movies, uh, you're probably going to be better off watching the, the movies that are maybe a little, that are actually genuine. Like, I guess uh, they're really trying. A lot of those movies, believe it or not, were really, really trying. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, just circumstances that circumstances just wouldn't let them do that. But like, yeah, they they always. I mean, I can't say always, but uh, you, I just always got the feeling that they always. Want Unless you're watching fight. a trauma, this this comes oh, across yeah, more like yeah. a trauma movie. Like that's what Planet Terror kind of reminds me of. Good good point. Yeah, which is fine because there's plenty of people that love that kind of stuff too, and I like I like a couple of them, but most of the time I'm just like. I'd rather just be watching a movie that's really trying hard and failing at being good. <laughs> um, or the ones that pull it off once in a while. I mean, they're fun, but I just, I think personally, I would rather spend my time watching the movies that they're obviously riffing on. Uh, but overall, if you, if you have, if you do have a love for that type of genre, you haven't ever seen Grindhouse, you're wondering what it's about and you, and you do kind of like, the type of movies that they're playing off of these low budget or exploitation movies, it's worth your time as, as an homage to that era. I, I, it kind of revived that a lot of people tried to make a grindhouse style film after this. And I think probably still are trying to do that. I don't know that I've ever really seen one. I haven't seen machete actually, but machete, and, is, machete is cool. I, I'm actually was about to watch that uh, later because I haven't watched it in a while. I actually saw machete in, uh, in theaters, and it was really cool. I do have Machete Kills, but I have actually never watched that, so I actually will try to... Um, I think Rodriguez actually does does better with, because, like you said, at least with Machete, there's a character you can get behind. Funny note, I didn't know 
Machete was in the Spy Kids movie. I didn't know that's where he, <laughs> that's where he comes well, from. He kind of, sort of, is a character similar to that in the first in Desperado, also. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but, he's he's kind of a. I mean, you don't really he's he's a pure bad guy in that, but he does doesn't he even do something kind of similar when he jumps on top of the car? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I didn't know that he was actually playing that character in Spy Kids. Though that's funny. Yeah, yeah, I, I literally just read that on on Wikipedia like a moment ago. But yeah, and, but the other thing is also a lot of other. Um, there have been a lot of other attempts, like you said, to make that type of movie, and the the, it's the the same problem that you know comes through. I can tell when you're trying to make that type of movie, and it it never feels it never feels genuine. Yeah, it feels like you could be doing better. So, don't you know? Ma- make your movie as best you can, and if it turns yeah. out bad, it's probably going to be more creative and interesting than if you make it bad just to make it bad. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like like yeah, you're when you're trying to, and I get it. Like you know, some of the the um, the aesthetics of of those types of films. And the aesthetics I, are fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and so like yeah, you can do that, but like you said, still make you know, still make it, you know, uh, put genuine work into the film uh, to make it, you know, make it good. Like I said, we can tell when you're, you're like, yeah, I'm making, cause I've, and I've seen some people say that too. They're like, well, it's, they were making an intentionally crappy film. It's like, yeah, but that's not, that's not, that's what, not what the, let me, sometimes, okay. You can see where it could have gone wrong with something like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which we've talked about before. But it didn't because I don't know. I don't know why. Why didn't it? I don't know. It it just it they they made a actually really well shot and edited film, but they had no budget to make it as glossy or as as clean as like a you know another you know a more high highbrow high budget film. And somehow or another, the cheapness of it mixed with the actual the fact that they actually shot a like well put it together very well made it feel genuine yeah and it made it feel real in a in a strange way and, and it became effective because they weren't trying to make it shitty on purpose and it was not it's not shitty i'm just saying like from first glance it's not as it's not a it's not a typical it doesn't it's not put together like a hollywood film and that's what people like about those these off the beaten path type movies is that they're not put together like a standard Hollywood film and you're not going to see the type of content or, or hear the things that you're going to hear in a more mainstream film. So that's what people want. That's why they revisit these cult classics and, and and everything is, you know, they were made outside of Hollywood and they don't feel like, um, they just don't feel like the type of thing that you you've seen over and over and over. So you're going to always see something crazy and different. But that being said, there are plenty of movies that they knew they were making something. It was not that they're trying to make a good movie, but they're not necessarily they're doing something creative. So they're trying to make something completely insane work, like Evil Dead Two. They're trying to make something completely insane and put it on the screen, and it's super creative, and it's it's still schlocky and silly. But it just it transcends. Terminator One could have just been a cheap 
B movie. And a lot of people considered it that at the time. And some people still call it a B movie. But it transcends the B movie. John Carpenter was the was the was brilliant at transcending B movies. They Live is an indie film that he made on a fairly low budget. It could just as easily be considered a B movie if it was anyone else making that other than Carpenter. <laughs> but it works. Like it transcends, it becomes something more. Same thing with Escape from New York. It's so campy and crazy, but it works. Anyway, preaching to the choir, I'm sure. Yeah. No, a um, a film actually I watched a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's nowhere near in the category of uh, uh, those ones you just mentioned. But um, I watched this on Tubi uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it's called Naked Fear, and it's uh, it's basically like an exploitation film. It's it's about uh, this woman who she comes. She's new to town and. Um, she's 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 a stripper and um she gets uh kidnapped by this uh this lunatic um who releases her out into the middle of the woods uh naked and he's um shooting at her um like a you know like a hunter it's basically like um if anybody's ever seen uh, the most dangerous game it's kind of almost like an exploitation oh, yeah. thing of that the, but here's the kicker though it's not really as exploitative as you would Think, other than the fact that the woman is naked that's pretty much all it is but it takes those um it takes some of those exploitation ideas but it still kind of treats it serious as in yeah we're we're going to make this an actual tense thriller and it's actually pretty it's actually pretty decent um even with some decent uh uh commentary on like um you know because there are multiple women that have gone missing in the in this film and you know the the plight of the the sex worker or the woman who no one cares if they go missing that's a that's that's just like i said it's on tubi and you know free um but um something i'll probably just just recommend to people out there give it a you know give it a go it's something that is kind of almost what you would think that tarantino and rodriguez were kind of aiming for with grindhouse but at least with like naked fear it's nowhere near it has nowhere near the production of of grindhouse or anything like that but it does take itself seriously as a movie and while still you know kind of leaning into that you know that that low budget exploitation grindhouse style so that's it can some, be done that's something else i was gonna say i'm glad you mentioned that before we go i had one other thing to say the trailers which we didn't really talk about that much the trailers between the films, not so much the machete trailer at the beginning, but the trailers between like Don't and Thanksgiving and those things seemed so much more dangerous and, and actually yeah. irreverent and more like the actual movies that they're riffing on than the two movies that we got. Which, not to say Rodri Rodriguez did the whole thing with the testicles and all that kind of stuff, but they came. it did come across like a Larry Cohen movie or... Not like a couple movie, like a trauma movie or something like that, more than it came across as like a legit shocker. Like and, don't felt those trailers felt like movies I legit want to see. Yeah, well, they actually felt like the type of movies I thought they were we were gonna get here, and I feel like Planet Terror, and if anything, Planet Terror and especially Death Proof are a little too tame. They're yeah. a little, they play it a little too safe, and those trailers don't play it safe at all. 
like werewolf woman of the ss like there were movies like that by the way and and don't seems like a lot of italian shockers like if you want to see some there's some on shutter i could give you some titles you can get on there um there's some like just i could point you to like two or three movies that are very similar to that don't movie and they're really crazy over like really shocking compared to like american slasher movies and uh and but all there's also such a heightened sense of reality to them that they're really fun and um and movies like uh thanksgiving i mean those there's nothing quite like a uh like a schlocky 70s and 80s slasher movie 80s slasher movie especially like all the stuff after Halloween that was trying to top one another. Like I have a whole shelf full of stuff like that. And I mean, like uh, we're, we're going to watch one of them when we get into our closer to scream too, because we're going to watch some, some movies that specifically take place on college campuses. Cause there's like a little sub genre, but uh, like the dorm that drip blood and stuff like that. I mean, like there's some stuff in that that shocked me and I've seen a ton of these type of movies. <laughs> like, so Thanksgiving is like, give me Eli Roth Thanksgiving. Like, I'm not even a huge, like, I like Eli Roth, like, especially, like, when he did the, uh, the History of Horror on AMC, I think it's on, uh, Shudder as well, and the stuff he does with interviews, and, and when he was on Joe Bob one time, they watched Mother's Day. Mother's Day, by the way, is, like, if you want to get closer to Eli Roth Thanksgiving, watch the movie Mother's Day. Like, that's what he was riffing on, and, those movies are a blast if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I was hoping because those trailers are more dangerous and shocking than anything in either of the two main features, which is kind of disappointing. It's like, come on, guys. Y'all are trying. I, I don't think Tarantino could bring himself, even though I think he loves those movies. He probably loves every movie that I've mentioned. He can't quite bring himself down to that level. Like I think he's still a, uh, a filmmaker, and he got so much critical respect. I just don't think that he's willing to quite go there. He's always gonna still make a a movie that works in the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, I'm not accusing Tarantino of not being willing to buck the mainstream. I'm just saying that I don't think he's gonna quite go as far as something like Mother's Day. And I, and that's more Eli Roth style anyway, but I'm saying Eli Roth will go there, even if even if I don't care that much for his movies. He will go there. Rob Zombie will go there, which is why it makes more sense to give us a Rob Zombie, Eli Roth Grindhouse sequel if the movie had been successful, which I think might have been the plan to do it with other filmmakers and stuff like that. But uh, for better or for worse, like I love Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects especially is a great movie. Like if you like that type of movie, it's a great movie. If you don't, you're gonna hate it. But that that's another one. If you want a great, if you want to see a '70s style exploitation film modernized, watch Devil's Rejects. It feels like you straight up saw this thing in in some hellish. <laughs> you know shitty theater or somewhere to drive in in the 70s it would totally work um it's like texas chainsaw massacre on acid um but there's a lot of like have you seen it devil's rejects no the only rob zombie film i've seen was his first uh halloween yeah see man that sucks no devil's rejects is good though uh, i know that's probably gonna get some hatred to say that his yeah. halloween sucks but i'm just like i'm if i'm gonna watch halloween i, I want it to be I'm talking about the original. I mean, the sequel. Honestly, it probably doesn't suck if you compare it to some of the other sequels. But I'm just saying, 
it's just not my idea of that story not my cup of tea even though i love his original stuff like uh house of a thousand corpses which if which is a his version of texas chainsaw massacre essentially but more him than a straight up remake of that and like it's it's all him all the way it feels like a total throwback to that to that era he was already doing the grindhouse thing before you know tarantino and and uh rodriguez jumped on it not to say they weren't pulling from those influences on their other movies that we've talked about but you know what i'm saying yeah uh there are examples of it done well because zombie made house of a thousand corpses and it it was so hated when it when it was being shown like universal refused to release it like he had to save up the money and 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 buy it back from universal to get it released like they tried to bury it and then it became kind of a cult hit now that's an exploitation film when you scare your own studio to to the point that they don't even want to release it then you made an exploitation film because <laughs> he had to go through different avenues to get it shown that's an exploitation film. That's why they had the drive-ins and the grindhouses in the first place. Your your Holly your mainstream Hollywood studios and your mainstream movie chains did not want to. Sh- they tried to shut these movies out. This type of movies out. Sometimes certain filmmakers out of the market, so they had to make their own market. That's why it's cool. Uh, it's rock, It's punk rock cinema. It's it's like showing you shit that nobody wants you to see. Sometimes they're tamer than what you thought they were going to be, but like. The home video market kind of did that too. We've talked about that before on the show. But yeah, so there are movies out there that are that are more recent if you're into that sort of thing. But um, they they're the movies I just named are way more. Uh, they're they're not trying to emulate as much as they're being influenced by and doing the they're legit like they legit could have came out during you know in that same kind of film market if it still existed and and they would do really well um anyway i'm just gonna keep repeating myself if i keep talking so (laughs) yeah no no i totally agree i i i still enjoy it and i still think oh yeah one of the best one of the uh a unique it's a unique film experience and um like i said if you if you have an interest in it i would definitely see if you can get your hands on uh, the the Blu-ray of the theatrical release that is the best way to watch it. Um, but yeah, like as you, if you I sound like I'm being way more critical on it, I still very much enjoy it and recommend it. I do. Yeah, it's just it's just like you know we we've spent time with these films over over the the past uh, what 15 years now, so we've spent time with them, and so yeah, but yeah they. They they do the job they they do the job but like I said there there are some other instances where you know other directors may actually have a a better like you said you you said they're not you know they're not really showing their their inspiration they're just more uh, more imitating and it does show yeah and not and it's still a good time and it's still a celebration it feels kind of like they're making these movies specifically for people like you and me that enjoy that sort of thing and and i and we don't always get i don't know we it's a celebration of of that type of movie and that seems special because you don't get that many movies that come out that's literally like let's celebrate this 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 style that's dead now you know and it's sort of like and and, and for better or for worse it kind of works like a 
like a revival. And so you get, you're going to get some cool stuff out of that. And I, I do think that it was kind of going on before then, but I think that it brought it like a lot of Tarantino Tarantino has done a lot of this with martial arts movies and exploitation films is bring a lot of these things to the mainstream. And if nothing else, he makes a lot of these movies available. Like there have been movies specifically because Tarantino talked about it in some random ass interview that have become available to watch that we wouldn't even have had the chance to see. So for that part of it, I, I like, it's sort of like I always look back and say, despite anybody's opinion about Martin Scorsese's movies, the coolest one of the coolest things Scorsese does is help restore, you know, old films and like help preserve them. That's one of my favorite things that he does is 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 he's made it where people can see some of these movies for generations. George Lucas does the same thing. Um so and he started that with the whole thing with the whole everybody hates the Star Wars pre well, I say everybody. A lot of people hate the Star Wars special editions. But some of that stuff that he spent money on and did made it made film restoration more um, more viable and more easy to access. So a lot of these movies that would have been lost to time are getting preserved, and and some of them are getting put into the Library of Congress and a lot of. That. I mean, these guys have worked to do that. Tarantino's done that for exploitation movies, and has made. Uh, there was an Australian film, and I wish I could remember the name of it that they played on the last drive-in that Heather and I loved. It was a really good australian horror film and it was it was kind of an artsy horror film and then one of the things uh joe bob said on the break was that this movie is only available in the united states to watch because of quentin tarantino mentioning it in some random interview that he it was one of his favorite australian film it was just <laughs> random thing and then all of a sudden the movie got a new distribution deal so that kind of stuff is kind of what grindhouse represents to me is like here's these here's this appreciation and the celebration of films and filmmakers that maybe never really got their due. So and there's something there. There is some like really genuine, cool, creative energy in these type of movies. So I do appreciate Grindhouse for that reason alone. Um, but it's and it's still fun. I just I'm I, if it's a great it could work as a gateway if you like this type of movie. Go out there and seek the type of movie that it's riffing on and that it's that it's celebrating. And if you don't like this type of movie, uh, then I don't know what to tell you. Fuck you. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't know where I was going with that. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I like about it is the celebration of, of these type of films and these type of filmmakers. If it's your cup of tea, then it's a good time. Yep, totally agree. <sighs> All right. I got to go cook dinner. <laughs> I was going to say, I hear them yelling. Yeah, dude, it's just, I can't wait to be back in my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's been good talking to you. I'll figure out what we're going to do next week and I'll let you know. All righty. All right, man. Take All it right. easy. Yep. Podcast Ask Us Many Questions. Who will listen and who will return next week? Who will take the time to rate and review? Check for a new episode of PhotoFlow every week. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at PhotoFlowTerror and Instagram on PhotoFlow underscore terror. Thank you for listening to PhotoFlow. We'll find the terror in the smiles. <laughs>